You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing my best impression of someone with a code in your nude, and that <laughs> would be, be Charlie quiet. Dobbin. <laughs> Thanks Boy. for that. Well, Charlie, yes, Franklin Proctor Franklin. here. Yeah. Uh, gee, that cold is really hanging on. It's the cold that just won't go away. Oh, I'm telling you, gosh. I am so frustrated by blowing my nose oh, nonstop. My yeah, well... Uh, good luck today, then, <laughs> my friends, <laughs> as you tune in to the Garden Show here on Zoomer Radio. My job is to get the phone numbers on the air and get you to call in and talk to stuffed up <laughs> my my stuffed up buddy here, uh, Charlie Delvin. Okay, phone numbers. Let's get them on the air for for Toronto. It's four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Anywhere in the province, toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Please call early, call often, one question per call. And if you happen to be a first-time caller, uh, let Sebastian know, and uh, he will let me know, and that's what will happen. You'll get a little uh, ring. you get your uh, garden wings. Garden wings. Yeah. That bell represents wings in the garden. You got it. You got it. Oh, uh, are you a huge baseball fan? No, I'm not. I'm a huge Raptors fan, though. Well, it's a good thing you aren't, Dave, because you hear I'd, about that game I last night. Can you 18 imagine? innings. Can you imagine? Yeah, and good luck trying to read any report on it this morning, because all, every, 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 all the papers had to go to bed, you know, yeah. before the game was over. Well, it was funny on the radio this morning. I heard them say the fans were hangry. Oh! <laughs> they were so, it just went, oh, like, eight hours. Well, yeah. Like, you know, when man. you go to a ball game, you know, three and a half is a yeah. long game, right? Oh, hours. man. Eight hours later. Good thing it was on the West Coast. Because oh, otherwise right. it would have been three thirty in the morning or whatever oh, by the good time point. wound up. But you know what else? They play again today, <gasps> and so They've the question is: exhausted. Are there any pitchers that, well, that haven't aren't oh, exhausted yeah, after five hundred pitches yesterday? Oh, oh man, crazy! <laughs> anyway, okay. All right, enough of baseball. Yes. Let's talk gardening. Hey, that's uh, good. All right, so coming up, the Rhododendron Society is meeting next Sunday. That's November the 4th at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Meeting takes place at the Toronto Botanical Gardens in the Garden Hall. The speaker is Wayne Mezet. He's from Weston Nursery in Massachusetts, and that's the same nursery that produced and created the PJM rhododendron, which is named after Wayne's grandfather, PJ Mezet. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, and the PJM roto is a, a, it's a tough, tough little rhododendron. It's mm-hmm. one that works very well here on the East Coast. I mean, if we lived in British Columbia, we wouldn't need the PJMs because they have a much different climate there and they grow huge rhododendrons. Here, we struggle to keep them alive and keep them, getting them through the winter and keep them blooming and they just often don't yeah. thrive. But the PJM is the one that does thrive. Mm. So if you love rhodos, that's the one to get. So, We'll be learning more next Sunday about the PGM, the creation of that, that roto. After Wayne's presentation, there's a hands-on demo of proper planting of azaleas and rhododendrons. Yeah. Excellent information. We, uh, the, of course, the Society hopes to make this a very educational event, and attendance is open to everyone and free of charge. Refreshments will be provided. So there you go, next Sunday, November the 4th. Okay, you walked into the studio and you brought with you 
a brochure I know. and some really neat news. Well, I Tell received a very nice surprise in the mail the other day. Mm-hmm. Just a box was at my door of 50 tulip bulbs. Because yeah. I was like, what? I didn't order anything online. But inside the box were 50 tulip bulbs, and they were sent to me from Vanco Farms, which is in Prince Edward Island. I had no idea that this farm even existed. But it turns out it's a family-owned and operated farm growing specialty and organic potatoes, greenhouse tulips, and tulip bulbs in the signature red soil of PEI. And you said to me, wow, I never knew that outside of Holland that, yeah, you know, anybody farms that did this. Grew, yeah, grows bulbs. So they're yeah. growing bulbs to sell bulbs. So we're talking local, locally grown bulbs. And there's a whole little package of the different yeah. bulbs they're growing. What they sent me were 50 very nice looking um, healthy you know yeah nice size tulip bulbs and the name of them is lalibella so Lalibella, you yes. have it in front of you there. I do indeed. They're and beautiful. They're beautiful. Coral orange Darwin hybrids blooming early to mid-season, 35 to 40 centimeters tall, and I can't wait to plant them. Okay. But it's snowing today, so I'm gonna, <laughs> not going to plant <laughs> yeah. them today. Uh, uh, by, uh, let me just give you the uh, website. It's, well, www.vancofarms.com. That's V-A-N-C-O yep. farms.com. And they and take do. Take a look at them. Yeah. Beautiful. So grown in Canada, so, and they do. Do obviously yep. ship bulbs all over Canada, so uh, certainly worth learning more about. Yeah, well, and lucky you got the whole. I box know, I love free. that. I love little surprises With like that. Payola, it's the I'm best. telling you. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, hey, we're coming back, and we've uh, got Joe on the line from West Seneca, New York. We'll be talking to it. We've gone international here on the garden. No question, we yeah, have. We absolutely. are podcast across the universe. You got, and it. we have listeners all over the world. <laughs> oh, just so you know, so you got big that. shout out to everyone. You got it. You got you got a cold. That's what you got. <laughs> okay, we're back in a moment here on the Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie's biggest problem today is not sneezing as we get through the show. Anyway, or snorting. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, Joe in West Seneca. Good morning and welcome to the show. Hello there. Good morning. I listen to you all the time. Excellent. Terrific. Now, listen, I've got this, this rose bush. I about 15 years old. Uh-huh. And it used to bloom once or maybe five flowers, and that was it. Uh-huh. But this year it bloomed about five times and four or five flowers each time. Oh. See, and it's pretty thick on the bottom, maybe three-eighths of an inch, and it starts to branch out when it's about two feet. Now, hmm. how do I prune that? Wow. So you've never really pruned it? No. Huh. Wow. 15 years. I don't years. blame you. <laughs> and, but it's not gigantic. You know, oh. I, I figured this thing would be monstrous, but it never... Mm-hmm. Grow any bigger, and you don't know what variety it is because, of course, there's thousands of roses, and they all yeah. have their special. Everybody's got its own genetics yeah. how they grow. Main thing is, is it, does it get lots of sun? Is it in a, like a super sunny location? Because uh, that, that's good. It's under an eave, but uh, I mean, it, it, it's real sunny in the yard, real hot. Yeah, huh. but like I say, it doesn't. It's not gigantic. 
Well, but that doesn't mean anything because, you know, I, honestly, I've seen roses that are 150 years old and they're only a foot tall. So, you know, that it's all in the pruning. But um, so but the thing with roses, of course, is good quality soil, you know, fertile, good quality, organic soil, well drained, not wet. And lots of sun will give you lots of flowers. Yeah. How do you prune such a plant? Um there's two times of the year we prune roses. One is in the fall, and we only do that usually just to repair where there might be some damage on the rose, where it's rubbing, like branches are rubbing against each other, or it's interfering with a walkway, or it's so tall that it's going to damage itself in the wind in the winter. Um, if that, none of that's the case, then I leave it alone in the fall. And in the spring, you can do just about anything you want to a rose in the spring in terms of the pruning it back. I'm talking early spring. And that will encourage more growth, right? That's right. And you do all that before the leaves emerge. You can see the buds. The buds are fattening up and you'll see shininess in some of the the bark will be green and shiny and the buds will be green, but there'll be no actual growth on the plant yet. And you said it's about, yeah, so so it sounds like it's almost like a single stem for about two feet and then it branches out from there? Yeah. Hmm. You would cut it down to the bottom? Well... I probably wouldn't. I'd probably just accept that that's that little lollipop shape and leave that two-foot stem. But do bring all that bran- those branches back, perhaps, much closer into the center. And like I said, really prune it so that when it grows, it grows out from the center into like a, like a little lollipop. And try and avoid in- growing to the inside and any um, branches interfering with each other. Uh-huh. And fertilize. You've yeah. got some sort of shooters growing out. Can you cut them off? From the base, it's got little suckers? Yeah, there, there's a, a couple of them. I would probably, you know, it depends what you want. Do you want it to be like a bush from from ground level, or do you want it? I just wanted flowers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I, yeah. They smell real good. Oh, nice. Well, uh, fertilizer, I, uh, when I do that pruning I'm talking about in the spring, early spring, mm. I always fertilize, and I always fertilize with a rose food, not just any old specific, regular right? garden food. Yeah, it's got to be rose food. Uh-huh. So it's designed for roses, and you will, it, you'll get much bigger payback in terms of flowers because roses do are what we consider heavy feeders. They do need good, solid nutrition. So well, keep in okay. touch, Joe, and let us yeah. know how it goes, okay? Yeah, don't be afraid to yeah. prune for whatever shape you want it to be. Roses are very forgiving when it comes to pruning in the spring on a nice dry day. Very good. Uh-huh. All right. We'll take care of everybody in West Seneca, New York. Thanks course. for calling. All right. Thank you, Joe. Uh, righty, uh, from an international call, right back home again. Into our own backyard. And, and a first-time caller. Oh, the best. Yeah. There's Allison right here in Toronto. Hi, Allison. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Great. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a question about the proper grooming of a PG hydrangea tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a rather large, it's grown into a rather, rather yeah. large tree, and yeah. I want to groom it that I don't ruin the shape of that tree for next year. Uh, okay, so why do you want to do the grooming now in the fall? Is it... oh? Top heavy, falling over? No, no, no. It's got be the beautiful uh, pink and green mm-hmm. uh, blooms on it. Yeah. Um, I just thought this was the right time. No, 
Leave those blooms alone. Enjoy oh. them. Uh, they're going to get pinker as the weather cools off. Uh-huh. Then as we get into winter, those blooms will still hold on, but they'll be bronze colored by then. Yeah. So they continue to be ornamental through the winter. Some will break off and blow around the garden, but nevertheless, you'll still have that tree as very attractive, I think, all winter. Wow. Oh, they're beautiful. Next yeah. spring, just like Joe with his roses, next uh-huh. spring, early in the season, before the leaves start to grow, you can see the green buds swelling on the, the branches of, of your little tree there. Yes. You get in there, and again, PG hydrangeas, similar to roses, very forgiving of whatever pruning you want to do, as oh. long as you do it early in the spring. So, oh, okay. you know, oh. I, I, some people sent me photographs, um, emailed me photographs yeah. this year. The hydrangeas have been so happy that now people are out there, you know, with two-by-fours holding up the branches because yeah. they're so heavy with all these big by, flowers. By early in the spring, Charlie, what, what do you mean, April? First part of April? It, dep- sort of thing, it depends. Spring is different every year. Yeah. It could be April. It could be May. It, you know, it could be as late yeah. as early May. It could even oh. be mid-May. Just depends when spring comes. Yeah, I'll just see the buds forming on on the branches. Yeah, how so they the, come out. Yeah, those are the leaf buds, of course, because yes. the flowers are later in the summer. Uh-huh. So you just prune back as much as you want, and it's a very good idea just to avoid that top heaviness that we're seeing this year yeah. on some of the PGs. Oh, they've so, grown so well. Yeah, yeah, bring it right back. I cut mine right back. I'll bring it back by half or oh. or even more. So I've got that single stem. Then I've got all those branches up on top of the stem and it's just a matter of saying okay uh, you know those branches are currently four feet long next spring i'll be bringing them back to two feet or less so i could cut that back in half yep yep and do i have to sort of do an individual branch at a time yes you do that's okay (laughs) (laughs) and i sort of count the buds that you're where you're cutting down yes well and every now and then stand back and just look for balance. You want to balance the plant so that yes. it's a it's not all growing on one side. Plants will tend to grow more growth towards the sunnier side and be end up being unbalanced as a result. Uh-huh. So part of your job, because you are the master of the plant, the plant is not in charge, you are. Right. You will balance <laughs> that plant. So you might cut off more on one side than on the other side. When you stand back, you want it to look very, very even and very attractive and very symmetrical. Oh, th- thank you so much so I could wait till it's warmer weather to That's do this right. now. And never do pruning on a wet day, so make sure it's a dry, sunny day, oh, nice, okay. sharp pruners. Oh, thank you so much. Ah, okay, thank Allison. you for calling. Nice to have you among our uh, first-time callers. Exactly. Don't, Don't be a stranger. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we got to take a little break here, Charlie. Give right. you a chance to kind of cough. cough and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sneeze all you want. Thank you. And we'll be back to say hi to Joan in Burlington right after these words here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie and I are having a fun game called uh, Check the Monitor. <laughs> Try and figure what's <laughs> Try going and figure on. It out. We're trying to figure out whether... Uh, well, uh, chap- oh, we're going to Joan yeah, first. Yeah, we're going to Joan first. Yeah, we've got a caller online uh, from... Roscoe, Illinois. I want to find out whether it's a first-time caller. In any case, we're so we'll confused. get to that. But Joan is on the line from Burlington right now. Hey, Joan, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, and thank you. <clears throat> Very quick question about digitalis. Yep. Do they, uh, I know they're a perennial. My, my daughter has lots of them in her garden. Uh-huh. And she can't figure out whether they recede from <laughs> the seeds that are blown from the flowers or if they go underground and, and come up next year that way. 
Yeah. Okay, so the thing about Digitalis or Foxglove is actually a biennial. So probably what's happening at her place is the seeds are dropping from the plants after they flower. Mm -hmm. Those seeds are likely or could be germinating that same year that the seeds drop, because the seeds could drop in like July and they could be germinating and growing as little tiny green plants in August and September. The following year, which is their second year, they bloom. Mm-hmm. And, and again, drop seeds, the whole process starts again. So it looks like it might be like that they're coming up all the time from the same plants, but they're likely not. There's very few foxglove that are truly perennial. There's one or two varieties, but by far the vast majority are biennials. So they only live for two years and they die after they flower. Now, can she take these seeds and plant them herself? Sure. Share them with her friends, of course. Okay, that's all yeah. we want. Oh, thank Spread you. them around. Take them to empty parking lots and get them out there. <laughs> we'll do something. Gorilla gardening, we call yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they go under a cedar hedge? Under a, what kind of hedge? Cedar, cedar hedge. Probably not. Mm. Not very well. See, right around cedar hedges, two things. One, it's often quite shady, but the soil tends to be very low pH if it's an old cedar hedge, particularly. So sometimes yeah. it's hard to grow anything near a cedar hedge. The only times I've ever been really successful is if I go through and I put horticultural lime down in the spring, temporarily raise the pH enough so something can grow at its base, but it is a temporary fix. To put I know, but Lily, the value there, and they've taken ages to come up. Right, same I, I mean, idea. But they're not growing as fast as they normally would. Yeah, yeah. They're, it's not a happy place. Cedars are very, very dominating plants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. All Enjoy right, Joan. Weekend. Hey, yeah, thank you thank very you. much. Uh, I've got a couple of free lines now, so let me just repeat those phone numbers. 416-360-0740 here in Toronto. Anywhere in the province, toll free, though, one 866-740-4740 as we head to Waterloo. And there's Catherine. Good morning, Catherine. Yes, I'm here. Good, Good morning. morning. Uh, I have a question. Uh, I hired a certified arborist uh-huh. and uh, he told me that um, they would come come and uh, uh, you know prune my trees mm-hmm. Uh uh, October, November. Okay. Well, I gave them a call mm-hmm. the other day, and they said not until all the leaves have dropped. Right. Mm-hmm. And because I thought I'd heard you say best to prune in the spring. Uh, no. I want to make sure they know what they're doing. Oh, okay. Well, if they if, honestly, if the person is a certified arborist, they will know what they're doing. Um, trees are different from uh, the other plants we've been talking about earlier in the show, like roses and hydrangea shrubs. A big old mature, what we would call a shade tree, so a big tree. Uh, mo- many of them are best and most easily pruned in the late, late fall, early winter. Two reasons. One is the leaves have dropped so we can really see what's going on in terms of the framework and the structure of the plant. Number two, remember what happens in the spring. I mean, think of maple syrup. We wouldn't have maple syrup if mm. as part of the, the, pro- the regular physiological processes within a tree, in the spring as the trees are waking up and the ground is thawing and the sun is shining and the birds are singing, liquids are moving from the roots up into the tips of the branches of the tree where 
leaves are going to grow. So we tap the trees and we take some of that sap and we make syrup. If you do a lot of pruning on particularly maples in the spring, they bleed like crazy because that sap just pours out from those wounds in the spring. And I've even had maples, when they're trimmed in the winter, continue to pour sap or start to pour sap in the spring from the pruning cuts that were made in the winter and have that go on even for a number of years until those pruning uh, cuts and wounds are completely healed over. Uh, Maples are very, a lot of liquid comes out of maples, so they can be quite messy when you prune them. So I I imagine that that's what the arborist, why the arborist wants to come in November is because it's going to be the cleanest time to do the, the pruning and the best time to visually see what what's going on and climb up into the trees and do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, good for you, Catherine, too, to call a certified arborist. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Move. Better yeah. than Joe with the chainsaw. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I can't tell you. I think I've told you. My, my next-door neighbor, who no longer lives next door, he just was one of these people that thought he could do anything. And, <laughs> yeah. and actually now my neck, the, the new neighbor is the same <laughs> yeah. way. They're up in these trees and the neighbor next to him. These guys, like, they just think they know stuff and they don't. <laughs> and they're up in these trees and they've got saws and chainsaws and, and they're Yikes. taking down limbs and things are dropping. And I'm looking, I'm going, you people are idiots. <laughs> you're hurting those trees. You're actually damaging those trees with oh, the, what, what you're doing, doing it all wrong. And it's like, well, it's their tree. They get to do whatever they want to. Yeah, and I, I feel sorry so. for them. Boy, aren't you glad you don't live next year? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm so opinionated about what people are doing in their gardens. And I'm like yelling at you them. You don't hold back, do you? No. You're right Over the it. fence. Get out of that tree. You old man, get out of that tree. I am a young person. Oh, my gosh. Well, we better get out of this conversation and move to another. Uh, let me uh, say hi. for calling, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Richard in Roscoe, nice. Illinois. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Good morning. Good I'm morning. Uh, about to chop down a cherry tree. You are? Yes, it, cool. it's. Um, I had boars and and oh. they're done. They're taller. I've taken out uh, four already. But oh my! Okay. I'm the samurai woodcutter around here. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But anyway, the story was uh, I, I'd like to find out what that tulip that you yes. mentioned oh, yeah. was. Yep. And um, I, Prince Edward Island, they have it. What was the website? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's uh, Vanco, V-A-N. COFarms.com. Okay, now there is a possibility that they will not be able to ship to the States. Oh, okay. What was the variety of. The one that they sent me is called La Labella. Can you spell that, Frank? Yes, it's L A L I B, as in Bob, E L A. And I've got a phone number here. You might try this and uh, get some satisfaction there. Uh, 1 888 651. Two zero one nine. That's one eight 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 six five one two zero one nine. Thank you, Norm. Uh, also, one other thing. Yeah. I've got this invasion of Canadian thistle. Are you guys responsible mm. for that? And well, how do you, what do you do to get rid of it? Yeah, just like we're responsible for Canada goose, too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I got those, too. I bet you do. Those thistles are very hard to, to eliminate, but you have access to Roundup. Okay. Um, use Roundup early in the season. Okay. When they're young, your chances of killing them, and you're going to have to spray more than once. You know what? I've got a hypodermic needle. I'll cut them and oh, that works jab too. Them. I've done that yeah. too. And and get the concentrated Roundup, and don't don't dilute it. Use it concentrated. Oh my goodness! It's very hard because the the fur on the stems and leaves. Yeah. It's very hard to get into the tissue to kill with a herbicide. Remember, though, Roundup is going to kill anything at contact. So and cancer. 
Some people would say that, yeah. but it does work on the thistles. I'll say that. Okay, uh, Richard, ri- before you go, uh, just wanted to find out where Roscoe, Illinois is, roughly. If you take Chicago straight west, about 90 miles, we're there. Ah, there oh, you go. There you go. So, uh, Some miles of Wisconsin border. Very mm-hmm. nice. Thank you for calling. But if you still have your pen handy, here is an email address as well for that Vanco Farms. So it's very simple. It's just tulips at... And then Vanco Farms, V-A-N-C-O Farms.com. And Thank you so much. Like I said, there is a possibility yeah. that they will only be able to ship in Canada. Because well, hopefully you can find a ride around here maybe too. Yeah, it looks beautiful in the pictures. La Labella. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for calling. Thanks sure. for joining Thanks. us, Bye. Richard. Take care, Roscoe, Illinois. And, and Alrighty. Getting some business for Vanco Farms. Yeah. I'll tell you, that's good. <laughs> pay pay those uh, bills for your bulbs here. <laughs> Sharon, in well, just west of London, I'm, I understand here. Good morning. Welcome uh, to the show. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was calling because we um, planted a clematis. We bought it near the end of the summer, <laughs> so it's not very big. It's only <clears throat> excuse me. It's only a couple of feet tall. Mm-hmm. And we were wondering, how do we protect that for the winter? You shouldn't have to protect it for the winter. It, it, I assume it's growing on a, some kind of a trellis or arbor or something? A stick, yes. Oh, it's just not a very stick. Yet, so. Well, that's okay, but, but is it up against something that it's going to ultimately grow on besides the stick that came with it? Well, we'll put something else there when it gets bigger. Okay. Uh, all right, so, um, so it's just sitting there all by itself in the garden, kind of exposed. That's what's worrying you? Well, it's you? right next to the house. Okay. On the south side. Okay, no, that's a, that's a nice spot for it. If you wanted to, because it was so recently planted, and you know how it works. When we first plant any plant into our garden, it needs to get roots growing. And, the, and clematis are very smart. They will do root growth before anything. Sometimes it takes a good two or three years to see much happening above ground because they're so busy putting roots down. So some roots have obviously grown since you planted it. If you want to just pro- provide a little bit of extra protection, because in the fall and winter, as our soil freezes, it will, um, of course, expand because of the moisture inside the soil. The soil moves when it freezes. And sometimes newly planted plants will get pushed right up out of the ground. So one of the ways we help to keep the plants underground and, and in contact and you know, roots under the soil is pile a few um, crushed up leaves around it. Uh, if you had some extra topsoil kicking around or garden soil, in a month or so you could put a few inches of, of extra soil just around the base of the plant. The trick with clematis is that in the spring you want to be very minimal with um, movement around the plant because the branches are very, very brittle and they will break and once they break it doesn't, um, you'll end up with serious wilt diseases and all sorts of things get into the clematis when we cause uh, damage to the, to the little branches and stems down at ground level. I, I would definitely recommend you cut it down in the spring, bring it down to about two to four, three inches tall, leave it for now, but do that cutting next spring, and don't get frustrated if you don't get a lot of flowers for the first year. Just know that it's alive, roots are growing. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for all that advice. You're very thank welcome. You, Sharon. I, I know several people that have yeah. just gotten frustrated with their clematis, and they just keep moving them. Like every two years, they move yeah. it. It's like, just leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, it's taking its time. Yeah, yeah, just let it be. And if you just let it be for more than two years, it'll be super happy. But if you keep moving it every two years, it'll just keep, you know, trying to get established. Right. Well, we've chatted our way right to the next break. So let's give poor Charlie a little bit of a, a break here as <laughs> she's you. dealing with that rotten cold. And we'll be back to. 
we've got to find out where the heck Island Grove is, oh where Mary is calling from. We'll do that, though, when we check in with our callers next on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, it's a good thing that Charlie's a good navigator. I think we found out that Island Grove is around the Lake Simcoe area. Right? I or think Sim- so. Yeah, yeah we, Sutton we area, so, anyway. I think. Well, uh-huh. Mary's well, going to tell Mary's us. Mary's on the line. Hey, Mary, where the heck are you? <laughs> well, Island Grove is on the southern shore of Lake Simcoe. Okay. Oh, lovely. Great. Just, uh, it's north of um, Keswick and Newmarket. Right, right, okay. Right. Yeah, yep. so kind of your neighborhood, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. How much snow have you got there, Mary? Oh, it's uh, just wet, and uh, it's, there's no... Uh, you know, this melting around. as it hits the ground. Excellent. All Good right. to hear. Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it is snow. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Very wet. Yes. Okay. What's what's happening out there in the with Island your fuchsia? Road? Yeah. Yeah. I have. Uh, I was wondering if um, my uh, fuchsia plant, if there's a way that I can make it go dormant instead of keeping it alive all winter. Well, have you got a root cellar or something like a root cellar? Sure. Yeah. You could treat it like geraniums are are often put into what would be considered semi-dormancy for the winter. And you can do the same with a fuchsia. Basically, what you're going to do is, is it in a pot right now or in the ground? It's in a pot. Okay, so just to keep... it's quite big. Okay, so well, just to keep your life simple, um, I would leave it in... me? Leave it in the pot. Uh-huh. Because it's simpler that way. And you're going to move it from... Is it outside still? No. So you've brought it in, so it's in the warmth of your house? Uh, Yes. Right, so so that's where the cold cellar comes in. If you keep it in the warm, heated home, it's going to stay very alive and use water and need light in order to thrive. So cooling the temperature down, putting it into a dark, cool location will slow down all that activity. It won't need so much water and of course it will drop its leaves. The trick is that you don't want to kill it in this process. So there's the fine line. Fuchsias are pretty tough just like geraniums. You can take them down into that dark cool location, expect the leaves to drop, plan to cut back the plant either while it's in, in storage in the root cellar or as you are bringing it up into the light because it will know in March that the days have gotten longer and it will start to grow even in your dark cellar because it will, it will, they're very smart that way. They, they know what's going on outside the plants and they will start to grow. Uh, and that's, of course, when you'll have to get it into the light and start watering it again. Um, how, uh, how cool should it be? Well, root cellar temperature is roughly refrigerator temperature, so uh-huh. you know, 10 degrees uh, Celsius, 50-ish Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. That will slow down all the physiological processes, which will mean that it, it won't die in the dark and in the, uh, it, the situation you're going to put it into. Otherwise, you're right, uh, in the nice, bright, sunny sunroom, uh, you know, mm-hmm. living room, wherever you've got a nice big window, uh, keeping it alive as a, as a houseplant all winter. Those are your two options. And if I were to put it in the cellar, uh, does it need to be watered at all? Water it before you put it down there and check on it every month or so. Uh-huh. Okay. You okay. probably w- will not need to water it, but you just want to make sure it doesn't dry out completely, but you mm-hmm. also want to make sure it doesn't rot from too much water. There's a fine line. Yeah. Mm. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Let us know how that works out. 
Okay. Thank Thanks, you. Mary. Nice Bye-bye. having you with us here on the uh, Garden Show from Zoomer Radio as we broadcast live and direct from the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village. That's right. Great looking day out there, isn't it? It is. It's rather yeah. thick. Yes, it is. And wet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anne in Barry. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. Good morning. I have uh, lost my lawn. Oh. And if you find it, would you pass it around? <laughs> All right. I'm putting Sebastian on that. That's his job for the weekend. Find well, I Anne's have, lawn. Um, I ha- have a lot of moss. I have no grass. Uh-huh. Left. Um, is this well, sudden or this has been a I have process? A large lot. Okay. But uh, I have this um, weird little, very flat to the ground plant. Oh, I know what it is. That just will not give up. Nothing kills it. I've tried uh, Roundup, I've tried everything that's supposed to kill everything. <laughs> nothing kills it. That's that liverwort we were talking oh, about yeah. last week. Yeah. That oh. little green plant. Sound nasty. Oh, yeah, it's very pretty, but it, anyway, I don't have uh, any idea what to do with this lawn. That, that is a disgrace. Okay, so you had a lawn, and then slowly, over a period of years, the lawn got more and more thin and sparse, and exactly. other things moved in, like mosses. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so what that tells me is that two things, two or three things are going on. One is the conditions are not optimal for grass, but they are optimal for these other not so pretty uh, in plants that have moved in. Mm-hmm. And those conditions are three things: low light, because the lower the light, the less happy the turf is. It turf likes the prairies; it wants to be mm-hmm. wide open to the sun. Mm-hmm. Moisture, low lying areas where moisture collects can be very detrimental to the growth of grasses. Grasses like well drained, high points rather than low lying areas. Whereas mosses love the low lying, shady spots mm-hmm. and the moisture. Uh, and then the third thing that ends up happening is the soil ends up. We call it. We end up calling it a sour soil. It's a it's a, an old-fashioned term that refers to the pH of the soil being low, lower than neutral. So seven being a pH of neutral, our, our natural Ontario soils are usually about six and a half, 6.5, 6.7. Mm-hmm. But if it's a very low-lying area and water collects often, you'll end up with an even lower pH. You might be down to the six, uh, which again is not optimal for turf grasses, but is optimal for mosses. So, what are you going to do? Change your grades. You're going to, might need to bring, you know, I'd be getting, looking at a, like a proper landscape contractor to come in and sort of discuss what the options are. But I think what you need is you probably need to add some soil to get the grades, like rise them up high enough so that you've got water moving away from your house at all times, but uh, not collecting uh, where there probably is collecting. I don't have any water at all. No. As a matter of fact, I'm on sand mostly, and oh, it, mm. it's hard to keep uh, yeah, anything alive because it's so well-drained. Yeah. Um, right, so then there's even that. You know, sand, again, is not optimal for many things. So that's what we see. We see what what will thrive in the conditions we're providing. Uh, it, so it could be, again, a landscape contractor coming in and removing sand and bringing in some good quality triple mix. Um, 
Yeah. Many parts Talk of Toronto are very sandy, left over from when Lake Ontario was a much larger lake. Uh-huh. And uh, my brother lives in East York. His place is a classic example, pure sand. And he's so used to watering so often mm-hmm. in his garden. But we went in there and did this massive job, took out all the sand, brought in a bunch of topsoil, and he continued to water like it was sand. It was like, whoa, slow down on the watering. You're <laughs> yeah. killing everything with too much water. Because he was just so used to this, like, sort of daily water. Watering yeah. in sandy conditions. So removing the sand or some of the sand can be an option. You said you have a very large lot, so that's a bit challenging. But maybe you have, maybe you have some farms nearby. You can get a hold of some. You need that organic matter, right? You need that good quality old, you know, composted manure uh, to get onto the land, to have a healthier soil, and then you can actually grow plants that you want to grow as opposed to the ones that are growing there. So how do I get rid of this uh, liverwort? It'll have to be dug out, probably, if it's because if you've tried the the Roundup, etc. But but there's no point in digging it out; it's just going to start growing again. That's what I was afraid of. Right. So you have to recognize the conditions have to change for the liverwort to not take over again, uh-huh. and you'll be able to provide grass seed or whatever it is you would like to grow there, which will be able to thrive. Okay. Well, how much soil, new soil, would I need to put down? Like two inches, four inches? Well, it's hard, it's hard to know without actually seeing the quality of your soil now. Uh, the best soil by far is a, is a loam, but what you need, of minimum two inches to grow a lawn, let's just say that, and obviously more than that for garden plants. So, yeah, But it, it would mix in. It would be an amendment to your, your existing soil. Uh, though sometimes, you know, we love to take the soil out if we can, the, the poor sand okay. or pure clay. <laughs> and we have to kind of move along here, unfortunately, and I hope that uh, the advice offered up by Charlie is, is helpful there, and maybe calling someone in to Yeah, you're in the Bay area. There yeah. are some great contractors. Yeah. That, you know, go to landscapeontario.com, look for somebody in, in your postal code area. Exactly. Okay, we've got to take a break, and we'll be back in just a couple of moments to say hi to Doreen in Scarborough. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Uh, as promised, we will talk to Doreen in Scarborough, but just in a moment, you received a wonderful email. Uh, I just want, you want to, to share with this with you yeah. and our listeners, because I have mentioned a gentleman named Steve, a, a gardener in the Mississauga area, had put out a request for Rose of Sharon because he loved it and he didn't have any and he didn't have any money to buy any. And uh, he wrote me last Saturday to say that shortly after the show last Saturday, he got a phone call from somebody not who lived not far away, who offered him Rose of Sharon and actually brought to his home pots of Rose of Sharon and Christmas cactus and a number of other things, and he's just thrilled to bits and so thankful for the sharing. And I've yeah. said this before, you yeah. know, hard to meet a mean gardener. Gardeners are, are pretty... Share, you know, they share in their, yeah. they share information, they share plants, they're happy to show off stuff. So he showed off his garden to this uh, donator and benefactor, but at the end of his email, he does say, and I will read from his email, that may I express my sincere gratitude for the format at Zoomer Radio that has allowed such neighborly connections to have been made, twice and counting. But especially, may I express my appreciation to the listeners. They know who they are for their time, their effort, their generosity, their patience, and their trust. 
Yours with dirt beneath my nails, Steve. <laughs> That's great. Oh, so thank, thank you very much. Thanks for your, your yeah. thanks, obviously, to the lovely uh, support staff out there that are supporting all of us. But also, uh, thanks, Steve, for expressing that so well. You got it. Uh, Doreen, thank you for being patient and waiting on the line for us there. Good morning and welcome. Hello. Good morning. I I have a problem with one of my anthuriums. Uh-huh. I have it's getting brown spots on the leaves. Mm. So, uh do, is it m- getting much sunshine? Uh just no, just uh is, is it in a window? No. No, oh. it's just on a table. Okay, um sometimes I find that they will get spots if they are there's insufficient light, so you might want to see if you can move it closer to a window. Okay. Be careful about overwatering it. Uh, they do like to be kept fairly moist, but they want to, even an east window or a north window, it doesn't have to be south, it doesn't have to be super hot window, just a, a brighter spot. I think you'll find those spots will disappear. And remember, never water with cold water right out of the tap. Make no, sure that- do I water it with ice cubes? Oh, I wouldn't recommend ice cubes. I would recommend... This is what the uh, card that came on it said to water it with. Yeah, I know they do that. Because, ice cubes. Yeah, well, they they do that because then there's less chance of you overwatering. So what is it? Three ice cubes once a week, kind of thing. Six, they said, oh, but according to the size, of course. Right. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, you could keep doing that, but I'd get it in a little more light. I think you'll find those those little dots, those little brown spots, will disappear. Uh, and is your ice made from tap water, or do you um, use like a Brita or something? No, like it's that? a Brita water. Okay, Brita. good, good. Better because that way you know, there's not as much fluoride and chlorine and stuff mm-hmm. in the water, which can also cause the brown tips. So am I better to water it with water instead of the ice cubes? Well, I'm just not a big... I just always put it to myself. It's like, what if I somebody put ice cubes around my feet every, every <laughs> week? How would I feel? So yeah. I just I think the ice cubes are a bit shocking to the plant. I'd rather go with room temperature water, preferably oh. rainwater if you can, okay. to water. I think okay. that that's just okay. gentler. But same quantity of water, I think, is probably a good idea. Be careful to not overwater, but do keep, don't ever let it totally dry out either. No. Okay. No, I use a, um, a plant meter. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. moisture yeah. meter. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Doreen. Yeah. Okay, thank Glad you. Glad you good. got through. Uh, and we have you. time, I believe, for one more caller, but quickly. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Wanda in Scarborough. Good morning, Wanda. Good morning. Good morning. I have a dear little uh, geranium plant that I dug out. It has about four stems, and it's about five inches high, but it's full of blooms. It oh. just looks like a... A bouquet. <laughs> it sounds good. But the leaves are tiny. Will mm. they grow? Oh, yeah. They're only about, uh, oh, some are half an inch. Yeah. So, so when I lose all these blooms, mm. what do, I, do well, I fertilize it as it's blooming? Or Okay, so when you say you dug it out, so it does have roots and it is in a pot? Yes, it's potted, and okay. as I say, it looks like a bouquet. Nice. And you've got on the sunniest window ledge that you own? Well, it's a North Bay window, unfortunately. Okay. So those flowers will not last that long. No. So recognize that once they're done, they're done. Don't let them just drop onto the soil. Make sure you keep the plant clean as it sheds those flowers. Right. And no, do not fertilize. Um, the uh. plant knows that the days of short have shortened down and are continue to shorten down for still another two months before we're into longer days. So wait. No fertilizer till 
until March at the soonest, and at that time dilute, obviously even half strength uh, fertilizer. Give it as much light as you can and be careful to not overwater. In a northern window, geraniums are not going to use much water in the winter at the best of times. Northern window, even less water. So feel the soil before you water. It might, you know, when you do water, water thoroughly. So the water goes through and out the drainage holes. So whatever amount of water that might be, make that happen. But do not uh, over, you know, don't do that too often. Let it dry between waterings. Wow. Thanks, Wanda. Thank you, uh, Wanda. We, we, are fresh out of racetrack. We here. sure wow. are. Down to mere seconds. Thank okay. you, Franklin. Thank you, my love. Ton of fun, as usual. Couldn't do without Sebastian or the great callers. So thanks to everyone. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.